her by an English name, Bertha, returns with her to England, where he locks her in the attic of his cold and stately manor house. Now, is all of this starting to sound vaguely familiar? That may be because Wide Sargasso Sea is famous for its relation to another milestone in feminist literature, Charlotte Bronte's Jane Eyre, published in 1847. Jane Eyre is a buildings roman, a story of development of a character, a coming-of-age story. In it, an English girl, an orphan, finds her place in the world next to another fiery but wounded soul, that of her employer, English landowner Edward Fairfax Rochester. It's a love story, and it's a very beautiful one. But there's a catch. Edward's already married, and his wife, the Jamaican-born Bertha Mason Rochester, resides in his attic. Much has been said about White Sargasso Sea as a post-colonial prequel to Jane Eyre, a prequel that gives narrative and voice to the silenced, shadowy figure of the mad woman in the attic. While I don't mean to downplay the connection, and while I do think it's absolutely necessary that we interrogate the narratives and assumptions of imperial privilege, I'll tell you right now that I don't think that White Sargasso Sea's relationship to Jane Eyre is the most compelling thing about it. In fact, Sargasso becomes more pallid in the comparison, as if the pairing had leached some of the light and the color from it. This isn't because Sargasso can in no way compare to the brilliance of Jane Eyre, but because the two novels are apples and oranges. One, a tart and hearty English fruit, Victorian realist, character-driven, detailed, and good for long storage. The other, a tropical delicacy, modernist and evocative ripe and lush, with a dedication to place over character. I'm going to suggest that you read Sargasso for Sargasso and let yourself get swept away by its charms. Bringing too much English baggage along with you on this journey may not, as Antoinette's Englishman discovers, be a very good idea. From where shall we start then, if not from England and Jane Eyre? From the Caribbean, and the watery patch of it that gives the novel its name. The Sargasso Sea is a large body of water lying northeast of the Caribbean islands, right in the middle of the Bermuda Triangle. It's the world's only shoreless sea, thick with the seaweed from which it takes its name. Rich and blue, it's visibly set off from the ocean surrounding it, and it was originally thought to be fathomless. While strong currents surround it, the Sargasso itself is quite placid, and because of this, it entraps anything that flows into it. What goes in does not return. The Sargasso has long been held to be a place of mystery and danger, and Reese is not the only novelist to have exploited its symbolic potential. I'll admit, though, that the first time I read her novel, the title didn't make any sense to me. No one in the novel ever mentions the Sargasso, and the seed doesn't even appear as a metaphor in the text. But the Sargasso is the sea that you'd be crossing if you were headed from England to Jamaica, or from Jamaica to an English attic. Its expanse is what stands between the two lovers in the novel, and between the cultures that they represent. I think of it as a sort of watery contact zone, where the mysteries of other people and other cultures entangle you and where you might lose yourself entirely. I quite like that the Sargasso never appears directly in the text. It hovers on the borders, and Reese makes you work a bit for the connection, just as her lovers work. And I also appreciate that the novel takes its name from a place, 
since the novel revolves around and is structured around the logic of place. Now, since that's the case, I want to consider the three main structural spaces in Sargasso, Culibri, Grambois, and Thornfield. But first, I want to think about the two main characters that become entrapped and entangled there. First, we have Antoinette Causeway Mason, the desperate and broken young woman at the center of the novel. People whisper that Antoinette inherits her madness, like her extraordinary beauty, from her mother, the widow of a plantation and slave owner. But I think it's clear that Antoinette's dissolution is a function of circumstance, as much as genetics. Like her mother, Antoinette's a Creole, a white Jamaican. After the emancipation of Jamaica slaves in 1834, Creoles like Antoinette were loathed, both by the black Jamaicans they had oppressed and the white Europeans who wished to disconnect themselves from that history of oppression. In the novel,